Hello, and welcome to the Reference Point Podcast. I am your host, Paulo, and today I am joined by my two co-hosts, Anthony and Matthew. That's us. That's right. And on this episode, we actually have a very, very special guest joining in. We're four people speaking at once. This is going to be very, very interesting. Please give a warm welcome for Alessandro. Hey, guys. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So uh, you're saying this is Ref Point's first four-way? <laughs> that's right. Yes. This is our first four-way. That's right. Um, but, but you may remember him actually from our uh, Halloween special. Well, I, I wasn't actually a part of that episode. You guys only recorded that. You were there in spirit. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I replaced you. Uh-huh, okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, our Halloween uh, episode that we just put out recently on uh, Reanimator, a cult classic horror film from the 80s. So that was a nice little uh, retrospective, uh, you know, kind of review on, on that movie. Uh, so go check that out if you haven't already. Today, we're going to be talking about the long-awaited sequel to Black Panther, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. Um, before we do that, though, um, I just think it's important that we address something. So today we're recording on the Friday of the Black Panther release. And unfortunately, we got the news this morning that Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman, had passed away at the age of 66 due to a battle with cancer. I, I don't, I'm speechless. I, I don't know what to say. I, I couldn't believe it when I read it this morning. It just it came out of nowhere, you know. For a second, I was just... I couldn't fathom the idea of Kevin Conroy not being able to voice Batman anymore because he was the Batman of our generation. He truly like, defined the character, in my opinion, agreed. gave the absolute perfect portrayal of, of the character that we all know and love. And, uh, you know, I, obviously we grew up with Batman, the animated series, uh, more reruns. Obviously, of course, we weren't necessarily 90s kids. We were born in the 90s. We didn't grow up with it. But the show that really kind of... Uh, made me gravitate towards his performance was the justice league animated series which mm -hmm. was a little bit later on in the 2000s and of course the batman arkham video games and then mark hamill for me as batman and joker it's just are the two best interpretations so apparently he was just one of the kindest people you could meet in the industry we offer our condolences to uh, his family and loved ones and we just need to honor his memory agreed of course, before we get into our uh, review of Black Panther Wakanda Forever, I think it's really important that we obviously address the elephant in the room. The world two years ago lost Chadwick Boseman, um, who was an incredibly kind man, a very gifted actor who helped define T'Challa and Black Panther for an entire generation of people. His loss was extremely saddening for us and was just absolutely devastating. I vividly remember the night we found out he passed. We were actually sitting in this very basement around this very table. And uh, we just didn't know how to respond. And we kind of looked back on interviews that he had been giving around that period of time and how he had been getting very, very thin and not looking very well. And, you know, at the time we were kind of questioning, oh, maybe he's just, I don't know, fasting for a, a, a film role or, or something like that. But looking back, it was actually quite obvious that the man had been battling cancer and fighting for his life. And um, director Ryan Coogler and the entire cast and crew for Black Panther Wakanda Forever had the most difficult challenge humanly possible when making a big blockbuster Marvel film like this. How do you carry on and make a sequel to one of the most successful films of all time without your lead actor? What do you do moving forward? And um, on the Black Panther official podcast, Ryan Coogler was on that first episode and he talked a lot about how he had just finished the script to that movie, you know, and he called up Chadwick because he really wanted him to read it. And uh, Chadwick was, you know, basically coming up with excuses saying that, oh, no, I think it's best that you just send it off to the studio and we'll get it cleared. I trust you. But looking back, he just realized that, you know, my man was dying and he was just too tired to read the script. I uh, strongly recommend to all of you uh, to check out that episode. It's, it is a very hard listen, um, but uh, I think he adds a lot of perspective on how he and everyone else was feeling during that period of time. And, you know, until that podcast came out, we were kind of having a debate amongst ourselves as to whether or not not recasting the role of T'Challa was maybe the best move. And I honestly cannot say um, that the original film that we would have gotten before Ryan Coogler had to rewrite a script just weeks after finishing it um, would have ultimately been better. We can never possibly understand or know that. But what I can say is that Ryan Coogler did put his heart and soul 
into the making of this film, as did everyone else. And we will get more into detail about that soon. But um, I was wrestling with the concept of not recasting T'Challa for a very long time. I did feel originally that a character of this importance culturally, it would be a, a great disservice to not fill in that role again. And to write the character off wouldn't necessarily be the right move, no matter how much of an emotional and personal attachment we may have to Chadwick Boseman and his iconic portrayal of the character. And I completely understand that. At the same time, I cannot possibly imagine being in their shoes and needing to wrestle with the fact that it's a friend that I lost, you know. But, you know, ultimately, it just it was not an easy decision. And I do respect the filmmaker and the entire cast and crew for coming to that conclusion that recasting is not something that they could do. And he does touch more on that in the podcast episode where he just feels like Chadwick was such a leader and was so instrumental and, and central in bringing all of that together that without him, the, the production just would not feel truthful. And as a filmmaker, he has to believe in, in what he's putting out. And without Chadwick, he just didn't believe that the film would be as honest as it could be. So I, like I said, I respect, I respect them for doing that. And what we got, I think, was a very, very, very good film. For sure. It was, there's a lot of heart to this movie, and that's what I really, truly loved about it. You could tell that they put everything into it. It felt as though it was more of a love letter to Chadwick Boseman than anything, and that's something that is felt throughout the movie and something that is really greatly appreciated. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to agree with everyone here. I really, um, I really enjoyed this movie, and I thought it was a very nice, uh, very touching film to watch. So first, we're going to give our general thoughts, what we liked, what we disliked about this movie, and then we're going to jump into spoilers. Look, I saw this movie twice. I'm going to be real. The first time I watched it, I was a little bit disappointed. I also did go in with really high expectations. I love that first movie so much. I went in hoping it'd be even better than the first. Unfortunately to say, I don't like even after a rewatch, I don't find it's better than the first one. I still love the movie. It's a great film. There's just... I feel like there's something missing from the film, almost. And we don't know if that is Chadwick or something else entirely, but I, I, I do agree with Anthony uh, to an extent. On Thursday night, so yet last night, I had put out a tweet sharing our feelings on the film very briefly and how we felt a little bit underwhelmed by it, at least from Anthony and I's position, because we saw it together. And now Alessandro and, uh, and Paolo joined us on this screening tonight. Uh, so this is our second screening for myself and Anthony. And uh, I will say that although I did feel a little bit underwhelmed yesterday, I do think the expectations were a little bit too high. I think the film was a little bit overhyped maybe going the, into the it. The reviews were like raving. A lot of people were right. talking. I just, I think I went in with just too high expectations, you know? Yeah, so likewise. Um, but what I will say is that although some of my criticisms still stand, absolutely, um, I did enjoy the film more the second time. And I was able to appreciate uh, the storytelling even more. Just everything about the film for me improved on a second watch. So I really feel a lot better about this movie. A lot of problems I had kind of almost disappeared for me, I found. Okay. And what about you guys for a first time seeing the film? Do you feel like you need a little bit more time to kind of process and, and grieve? No, not really. I, I enjoyed the movie quite a bit. Like, it's not my favorite Marvel project that came out this year, but I would say it's pretty up there. I enjoyed everything about it, like the characters, the the story with Shuri. I loved Namor and the underwater city. It was absolutely gorgeous. The aesthetic of like using Aztec versus Atlantis yeah, we'll definitely was get a really great change and I felt was really better than what I expected. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to disagree with Anthony and Matthew, but take everything I say with a grain of salt because, uh, like Matthew said, I do need time to maybe process this movie. I don't. This is right after we're watching it, uh, and the last time I saw the first Black Panther was before Endgame. I came into this movie with no expectations because I had seen nothing about it online, and I ended up liking, for now, tentatively liking this movie better than the first one. Okay, to talk about Ryan Coogler for a little bit, um, I think the first Black Panther film that he directed. And I know a lot of people will disagree with this, but I think it was deserving of a Best Picture nomination. I think that film, in many, many ways, is a remarkable comic book film. And 
is a masterful piece of cinema in my opinion. I just rewatched it the other night. Like it's it's so good. I love that movie so much. It has such a strong heart to it, and the emotion is just there. It's it's right. great. I just want to add, and there's no denying the cultural impact it had. Like 100. It was very much. If it was deserving of anything for the mo- uh, best motion picture, it would be because of its impact. It's like mm. there was no other really movie like it at the time or even in the past 10 years before it. So I guess like, you know, coming off of the first film, some of my criticisms with the original Black Panther were, well, it stems first in the CGI. I did feel like the third act uh, battle sorely lacked. and It started looking a bit like a 2003 movie, you know? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Um, I will say gratefully so, in Black Panther Wakanda Forever, a lot of that has been uh, cast aside in terms of concerns. Um, I think Ryan Coogler has improved massively as a director in terms of helming action. Uh, I think he uh, has really, really grown as a filmmaker. I, I felt like on a technical level, this film improved in every way. Like even the cinematography, I feel was better. The CG looked better. Everything just to me visually was like an improvement over the last one. Right. But I do feel, however, that um, everything else well, actually, no, sorry, not everything else. The cast in this film, the performances that each member gives is nothing short of astounding. I think the performances are absolutely exceptional. Everyone is incredible, like everybody. everyone. Everybody gives their A game. You could tell there is just such raw emotion that permeates throughout every performance in this film after the passing of Chadwick and the loss of the character within the film itself uh, also greatly contributes to that. But um, I do feel like everything else in terms of a storytelling level, while I did, like I said, really appreciate the movie more on a second viewing, I still do feel like the first film uh, is just in another league. Yeah, like I kind of get what you're coming from, but like personally, I don't expect anything to really top the first one. So when I went into this, I had medium set expectations. I was hoping for, you know, at least a good movie. I didn't want something like Thor, Love and Thunder. I wanted like a good competent project. And this was, I would say exceeded those expectations. No, for sure. It's just like, like I was saying before, I just find the script was just a bit lacking, especially compared to the first one. I guess that can be really put down to just like certain ideas, not being fully developed just because you already had a large runtime of almost three hours so it's like there's only so many things they could have fit in and that well like we'll get into spoilers a little later but i do feel like there was a subplot that was introduced that probably could have been cut entirely that could that could have helped contribute to fully fleshing out the story and then thus like kind of maybe adding that missing piece yeah i agree about the uh the subplot bit um well like you guys said we'll get into it later i I guess i was gonna ask anthony if he had anything specific about the script that he didn't like i thought it was a pretty solid script through and through uh, ish i still had my own problems with it but i didn't think it was anything that made me think oh this is like a mid movie or this is worse than the first one substantially or i don't know i just wanted to get more of your thoughts on that well it's it's just not a as tight of a script as the first one the first one like it's like start to finish. There's like like a through line. This one, it's a lot of like cutting back and forth between different stories. Some that like mm. don't pay off as much. Here's I disagree with that. Yeah, I disagree because I feel like the through line with this movie was really grief and loss. Because you had it with Namor. You had it with Shuri. Even the way um, their mother was kind of processing the grief too. It's all centralized to, to pain. I'll have to say I, I do agree with Anthony to a certain extent about the script. Actually, you know what? I don't even really know if it's necessarily the script or maybe just the execution of the script. I feel as though the film is obviously a very emotional movie. Um, however, I did find myself not holding back tears for many of the parts that really should have, I feel like, tugged at my heartstrings and, and really made me get emotional. It's there, but I do feel like it, the emotion could have maybe been pushed a little bit harder and, and helmed a little bit with a little more grace, perhaps. I honestly feel as though I got more emotional in the first Black Panther film than in this one. But, you know, again, uh, this is not to diss on Ryan Coogler or anyone else involved in this project. I think they were, like I said, given horrible odds. Um, but for a film that does honor Chadwick, I did think that 
it could have been maybe even a little bit sadder, um, to be honest. But we'll, we will definitely get more into that in the spoiler section soon. I, I, I'm really trying to tiptoe around certain plot points that I don't want to give away. It, it's hard to talk about the movie without spoiling it because, like, the trailers really didn't show that much. It is. You know? But, you know, like, non-spoiler related things. You had mentioned Thor, Love and Thunder, Paolo. Um, what I thought this movie did really, really well was the way it handled comedy. Oh, my God. It so didn't feel forced. And there's genuine like moments of genuine like hilarity, like really really funny stuff. It's especially in the beginning. It's a lot funnier in the first half of the movie, and then the second half it gets like super serious. Like you, they forget the jokes in the second half. They're not doing that Marvel quipping and whatnot. Right. And actually, I think a lot of the humor and levity uh, from this film actually comes from Dominique Thorne, who plays Riri Williams, also known as Ironheart from the comic books, a brand new character introduced uh, in the MCU. Uh, and like I think America Chavez from Doctor Strange is very, very central to the plot of this film uh, and just really gets along with everyone in the cast. Uh, she was a total delight. She was so funny. I, I've never really seen this actress in anything before. I don't know if this is her first movie. Probably not. But she was like really good for a newcomer. Like I was really impressed. Yeah, she got all the big laughs in the theater. Um, yeah. And I think her interactions with Shiri and Okoye especially, especially Okoye, are just uh, <laughs> really it, good. That was that was a funny scene. I I laughed out loud. I I can't lie. Yeah, I genuinely enjoyed her character. She brought that same sort of like level of enjoyment that America Chavez did for me, where it was like I really enjoyed watching this character and watching them interact with like the characters that we kind of know already, mm-hmm. and sort of their introduction into something much greater, into like a bigger future. It was very exciting. Yeah, I mean, I agree with all of you guys. I think that she was very nice to watch on screen, and she uh, had good chemistry, I find, with the rest of the actors. Mm -hmm. My only issue, kind of, was that she, in my opinion, maybe didn't have enough screen time. Uh, I don't know what you guys think about that, but I find, when I think back on the movie that I just watched, I feel like she, especially towards the second half of the movie, she didn't really have that much either to do or that much screen time or... Well, what I will say about that, uh, obviously, there's always room to explore more backstory to really get into the psychology of the character, what makes them tick, get into the heart of them. But at, like with America Chavez, I feel in Doctor Strange, they're probably going to set that up. I think there is going to be an Ironheart Disney Plus series. No? Yeah, that's the confirmed. I think it even wrapped shooting. Wrapped so shooting. Gonna okay, like, it's going to be out like next year. So yeah, exactly. We're going to get a lot more of the character, and I'm sure we're going to get more of her backstory, like America Chavez down the road. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. But in my opinion, I feel like, you know, for a Black Panther film, she is not uh, an original cast member from the first film. I think just to introduce this character in this movie, I think she got enough screen time as, as a supporting character. I yeah. agree with you. Like, at the end of the day, this isn't the Ironheart movie. This is right. Black Panther. And I felt like she had a good amount of screen time. It's not like, you know, with the Guardians in Thor, where they just kind of showed up and then dipped. She was a constant presence. And even when her kind of role was fulfilled she stuck to the end and and made for more meaningful character that will definitely play into she doesn't die sorry (laughs) (laughs) no i wouldn't have guessed that oh my god well yeah but like you could tell that the second half i feel as though it's gonna definitely play into what they're gonna tackle in the iron heart series speaking of new characters let's talk about namor namor also pronounced in this film Namor as the main antagonist. God, what a cool antagonist. Uh, I arguably, absolutely adored him. Arguably the best part of the movie for me. He was so cool. Oh, the action scenes with him, he killed it. The actor who played him, so good. Everything about the, the changes, I loved everything about this character. So let's talk a little bit about the changes, actually. Um, in the comic books, of course, Namor uh, comes from Atlantis. And I think we all know what Atlantis is. If you've even seen a film from DC called Aquaman, I think you get a pretty good picture of what Atlantis could look like on the big screen. I was thinking of the animated movie from 2003. Yeah, from Disney? Yeah, that, yeah. Was, that, was, that was a good movie. <laughs> that movie's underrated as hell. Now, in this interpretation of Namor, instead of doing Atlantis, because that's a bit too similar to Aquaman, they did like Talokan, it's called, which is like a Mayan society and whatnot. Aesthetically, it's absolutely amazing. Like, you got the beautiful stone architecture, you've got the like pictures of the deities and it's kind of portrayed in a way where it's like it's recognizable as mayan but then it's kind of got that added flavor of like being an isolated society deep within the ocean so it grew its own culture and like 
but there's still all those remnants of being Mayan. And I don't have to hear the Aquaman comparisons on Twitter, so that's great. Yeah, and a friend of ours who actually uh, saw the film with us, she, uh, she, I believe, took a class on Mayan mythology, and she said that it actually uh, steers quite closely to it and pays uh, a lot of great respect to that. And it's nice, too, because at the end of the day, this is a type of culture that we haven't really seen ever on the big screen in a big blockbuster film, I don't think. Definitely not in Marvel. So uh, I think this uh, change was actually a very welcome change. I think it added a lot to Namor and to the uh, original Atlantis uh, kind of concept. Uh, So yeah, what I do think um, was lacking though, in terms of the Talokan society, was not really knowing anything about uh, the supporting characters. I feel like in the original Black Panther, you got to know all the supporting characters from Wakanda so well. You understood what made them tick. Uh, you bonded with their relationships uh, with each other and especially to T'Challa. I do feel like Atuma and Namora, Atuma is, I guess uh, you would say that is maybe the best like Talokan warrior outside of Namor, uh, I would say. He was, he was the big blue guy for those of you. Like, yeah, he's, he's the big blue guy. He's the big blue guy the who faces shark. off, yeah, who faces with Okoye. And Namora, who in the comic books, I believe is Namor's cousin. Yeah. Yeah, we don't really know anything about them at all. So that kind of disappointed me. That was an aspect of the film that felt a little bit underwhelming, how we just really did not explore the Talokan's supporting characters at all. Uh, So maybe in the future we'll get to see more of them. But for now in this film, that was something that kind of let me down a little bit. And yeah, that kind of plays into sort of my sort of if I already give and take out any points uh, on this movie, it would be that there's not enough time in Talokan. Right. And again, the movie is two hours and 40 minutes. So it's, it's quite surprising that the film does feel a little bit underdeveloped in, in certain ways. But it, it's paced like really well. You don't you oh, do yeah. not feel that runtime. At yeah. least I didn't on both viewings. Same here. Yeah, I, I, I'm honest. I'm, I'm genuinely shocked that the movie is two hours and 40 minutes. It's uh, you, you fly through that thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've also felt that when it ended, too. I just I I looked at my phone. and I said, oh, my God, it's it's already over. Like, I, I felt like it went by pretty quickly and i thought it was paced really well except for the ending but maybe we'll get into that later when we talk about the script and for stuff sure. 100%. Um, so any final thoughts before we jump into spoilers i liked it it was good <laughs> i liked it and i agree and disagree with some of the stuff said i really really enjoyed this movie like i said it grew on me on the second viewing uh, and i think it will actually continue to grow on me with uh, subsequent viewings as well we, we shall see it's a movie that i feel like it's even gonna get better with age so yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you all. Like, I really enjoyed this movie. I loved Namor. I loved the Mayan aesthetics. And Ludwig's score was just absolutely fantastic. But when isn't this guy just not cooking in the recording studio? No, this, this guy doesn't miss. He doesn't miss. You know, his, his music is absolutely phenomenal. He's, like, one of the best, like, up-and-comers for, like, up and comers this guy's been producing freaking music forever he did community come on (laughs) oh my god that's right yeah so he's been okay look this guy working today then that's the best way to put it working today he's one of the best uh, music composers i agree all right so i guess with that let's jump into spoilers so let's start with the film's opening i i love i love how we're kind of thrust immediately into um shuri's plight to save her brother's life there's a sense of agency, like a sense of panic. You're just kind of thrust in with not knowing what's going on. Like the child is dying. Mm-hmm. Shuri is panicking. We're panicking as an audience to see like first to get a grasp of what's going on in the situation because this is like an erratic opening. But then with the thought of like the child is dying, it kind of adds that sort of emotional weight. It kind of all culminates to like the child's mother kind of just announcing it that he had passed absolutely and i think in the elevator kugler does something really really smart he shows right away that shuri is actually um doubtful of her uh faith in in bast and uh and their culture to begin with mm-hmm. and uh her praying to bast to do anything just to save her brother's life kind of starts setting up something in her own arc which we'll get to a little bit later on but yeah no i, I just love that agency like you said and and uh, but, but but here's the problem. I, I do feel like all that happening, it didn't hit me as hard as I wanted to when her mom came out and said that he had died. I, I think that's also because we, we all kind of saw it coming. Let's be real. Absolutely, we, we knew but, it was the direction they were taking it in. But so. even just yeah. the way kind of like even the funeral, the way it was helmed, I, I, I just didn't. I don't think the emotion was cranked up uh, as high as it really could have been. 
but also should it have been you know what i mean like well okay so i'll ask you this then like what would you change about it to make it more emotionally impactful if you have anything off the top of your head or if you had any ideas uh just well, because i found that it was uh emotionally impactful or like paulo said there was it carried a lot of emotional weight especially when she realized that she uh she being shuri couldn't help her brother uh that realization on her face when mm -hmm. all of her technology and she couldn't do it and i thought that that was very emotional and then seeing all of their reactions at the funeral yep i thought was pretty powerful um i'm not sure that's why i'm just asking like would you change anything is there like a scene I think that you it's would just, add i think it's uh, there's definitely scenes that i would add but uh, we'll get to that a little bit later but for the funeral stuff i think maybe it's because for myself as an audience viewer there's a certain disconnect with the way death is sort of let's say even celebrated culturally right there's a joyous honoring of of t'challa's memory right what i do think kugler does incredibly well is contrast the family's uh, grief with the celebratory kind of like nature of 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 the funeral uh, procession if you will um i guess maybe what i would have liked to see a little bit more was just lingering on their feelings a bit more um but i don't know ultimately uh, it's a little bit hard to 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 narrow down what i would have changed because i think conceptually it all works super well it's it look it wasn't an easy task to do for me that the scene worked for me there were, yeah. i didn't really have any complaints per se that shot of you just see the mural of uh, Chadwick Boseman really like affecting me like like it almost felt real you know yeah, yeah that that's what honestly hit me the hardest like seeing his face once again because it's, it's even before the sort of Marvel logo where we had like a nice Chadwick Boseman Black Panther opening title something I really appreciated too is how the Marvel opening Marvel Studios uh, logo is uh, in pure silence and I mean you could even hear a pin drop in the theater it was you you could feel like the energy just sucked out of the room almost. Which yeah. I was kind of surprised about because I definitely expected people to start clapping when the Marvel logo came on. Uh, but I was pleasantly surprised when they didn't. M me too. I was, I was waiting for it and I was so happy that they didn't. I, I don't know. I feel like viewings. It, would, it would almost be disrespectful to start doing that. Like it's exactly. very clearly intentionally set up to be a moment of silence to honor Chadwick. You're literally seeing him. Uh, replace every hero uh, in, in, in the opening. You literally logo. see like behind the scenes footage in the logo. Of yeah, him, so it's know? honoring both the character and the man at the same time, you know. I understand it was set up to be a moment of silence, but sometimes people don't understand. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to they, say they, the least, yeah, we're talking about Marvel at, fans here. <laughs> yeah, exactly, Paolo. So they clap at the wrong moments, or maybe, I don't know, maybe they thought that it would be a clapping moment. Because every time, yeah. every Marvel movie without fail, when the Marvel logo comes on, everyone claps. Yeah. So I thought I was expecting it from everyone. Like, mm. not to get off topic here, but I feel like people just want to clap in movies sometimes. Like, I remember even when we watched a Batman, like, people just wanted to clap at it. Like, this is not a movie you clap in, you know? I agree like, with Anthony. Just to get back to the point being made, I really felt like going in, because we knew of Chadwick's death and the fact that they were not going to recast him and they were going to move on, I feel like really kind of... It doesn't take away from the emotional impact, but rather... Helps you accept it maybe quicker. Yeah, and I really do feel like that opening did kind of properly set up that this is his funeral, this is his kind of send-off, and then sort of focusing in on that mural really does give you a real gut punch of emotion, at least for me speaking. Like, I felt, like, a little choked up seeing his face okay. one last time, essentially. Yeah, ultimately, I I don't know, man. I I, I can't I, I can't control the way I'm feeling while watching the movie, and I just didn't react the way I, I kind of wanted to, and the way I was expecting to. And I feel like the way people hyped up for me to react, people were like saying online that you're gonna be sobbing throughout the film, and I just it just never hit me that way. So I I, I honestly don't know what I would change, man. Uh, Maybe the maybe it was the music in that moment that I, don't diss Ludwig. No, no, but I I don't know. I, I really don't know how to answer that. Um, but you know, moving on, I guess from that, um, I think the introduction to the Talokan people um, was a really, really incredible sequence on the, that uh, that ship. I, I just love that the shot of Namor at the end where he's just in the air, just like he took out that helicopter, you know, he's a baller, you just know it. That's the scene I was going to mention. <laughs> My bad. But I think, uh, yeah, I think Kugler um, just really has a strong sense of, of how to build up tension and suspense. 
that whole sequence was just really, really well handled. I loved the siren song mm-hmm. that uh, the Talokan people uh, use, kind of like you know from uh, mermaid mythology. I don't know, like, from, uh, I, I don't know much about the sea. It's so. not mythology per I, I, I se. Would say, I would say more probably like sea monster mythology. Where sure, like, yeah. Like the siren song used to like lure sailors and whatnot. It was out to sea. Yeah, really. It was cool. really, really well done. I enjoyed it a lot. It added a kind of like uncanny kind of almost scary bit to it especially because like i have a i have a fear of water oh do you like well as in like ocean water deep water and then it's what do you drink <laughs> you're looking forward to avatar the way of water no this december well no but for other reasons <laughs> <laughs> like so seeing like you know just people diving into just pitch black water hearing like that haunting sound it just oh so haunting it it, it's it, it, it rubbed me the nice. wrong way in the best possible way yeah I thought it was awesome. It was great. Well, I mentioned that I copied Anthony's take where <laughs> the very end where N- Namor was flying and holding the helicopter. I thought that was really cool. Uh, I thought that the um, the siren song didn't have that impact on me. You know, I'm not scared of water. Um, <laughs> so I, I didn't really... I, I understand what Matthew's saying. It was a kind of a cool sequence, but I thought... Um, I thought the Namor scene with him holding the helicopter was way cooler. And so with that, let's just kind of dive into like what we were calling earlier the unnecessary subplot and that is the one with Bilbo Baggins and the CIA. Yeah, Everett Ross, uh, played by Martin Freeman's in the movie again and his plot line with Julia Louis-Dreyfus as Valentina, not Elaine, was very unnecessary I found. It kind of felt like it was just adding on to the runtime. It kind of shows a bit of the impact of Wakanda announcing themselves to the world Mm -hmm. but not in the strongest way possible it, it just felt super unnecessary, kind of like wasting time almost. I find the only scene that was, I guess, necessary or maybe if you wanted to show the uh, impact of Wakanda is the very first scene with the where um, the queen was at the UN. Right, because the UN had basically called out Wakanda for not sharing their resources when in reality it's because the people wanted the vibranium in essence i i really did love that sequence especially when the queen is talking about what she hears from them and it's that that they have no leadership their king is dead it's like you really feel the impact of those words i thought angela bassett did a great job in this movie you really feel in that scene and when okoye comes out it's like okay good that's what i want to see well you see how yes they did lose their leader but they're not lost and they are still powerful individuals uh, who could stand their ground. But yeah, all this to say, though, like the CIA subplot just really felt like it was something that was tacked on and just threw out an idea of like, this is the impact of Wakanda in the world. But I could have done without it. But more importantly, it felt like just set up for another movie. Like, because, you know, Valentina is setting up uh, the Thunderbolts and whatnot. Martin Freeman's going to show up in Secret Invasion. It's just, it felt like unnecessary setup and maybe trying to tie a bit back to the last movie that it was just unnecessary for me. It didn't really work that well. Can well, you really even call it set up? Because there was nothing that really indicated any of it other than these people just showed up. No, there's teases that like Valentina clearly is up to something. She wants vibranium for a reason. Like there, you, you could tell that there's something there. There's seeds being planted. Well, now that you mentioned vibranium, I think you guys are being a little bit maybe harsh on this subplot. I, I think it did connect to the overarching story involving vibranium and that connects again directly to the people of Wakanda and then especially the people of Talokan as well. Vibranium is what kind of what unites this story in many ways. Um, I, I do think they had their place in it. Uh, was it as compelling as it could have been? No, not necessarily, it's, but it's, it was there. It, it's all in the execution, and I found the execution was maybe just a bit lacking. Sure. Personally, I would have just cut it completely and just focused more on developing Namor and Talokan City, in all honesty. I'm going to have to agree with that take. Uh, I would say cut it except for the beginning like i said with the un portion Mm -hmm. where they kind of showed their impact and showed the wakandans uh, especially the queen being very displeased with france's actions um no yeah it was france okay okay Um, moving on from martin freeman and the cia nobody wants to hear about that anymore i what i really liked about the movie was how thematically similar both characters namor and shuri were Hmm. that's why you see them getting along so well when he shows her talokan and everything yeah, and I feel like a lot of people who might say that the movie is a little bit too slow or whatever, all that stuff is vital. I, I wanted more of it, to be honest. I, I loved seeing Shuri explore Talokan with him and discuss, you know, his story and, and why he is the way he is and, and why that's important for, for Shuri as well and for the people of Wakanda. Uh, I thought his 
motivation was compelling. Um, I don't think it was as compelling and as emotionally satisfying as, let's say, Killmonger from the first film. I do think he was ultimately a better villain, and I did connect maybe with him a little bit more than I did with um, Namor. Like, for instance, when we see the flashback of him as a child and he goes back to his mother's uh, village and he sees that the people have been enslaved and whatnot, I felt like, while, again, conceptually it worked, it didn't grip me as emotionally or I didn't, I didn't feel as invested as I could have uh, in that sequence. So ultimately, yeah, Killmonger, I thought, was a better villain. But yeah, I agree with Anthony. I thought their connection was fantastic. I just I really like that line when he said, when she's talking about all the loss she's gone through in her yeah. life. And he says, like, well, maybe that's because oh, the best leaders are the ones who've lost the most. Yes, I agree. Wow, that was... Uh... I missed that part of the movie, and I feel bad that Matthew's saying it was a vital part because I had to go pee. Actually, oh, oh my you, god, you took it's a true. You took yeah. a piss break. Yeah, I had to. I really had to go pee. You were really discreet I, about it. I had no idea you. No, yeah, I, I, saw I, I made a lot of noise. I don't know how you missed it. <laughs> He's a pretty tall kid. I, I saw him. I heard him, and uh, yeah, you missed a pretty good part. So, so that sucks. Now, now I'm gonna have to rewatch it just to just for that part uh, because it does sound like a very emotionally capturing and captivating scene. Mm. So I I will probably rewatch it for that. Okay. I have no further comments because I went to go pee. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I agree with Anthony, though, on the aspect that Shuri and Namor were really similar. And I really like that both were motivated by essentially grief and vengeance. And that at least Shuri had the sort of forethought to kind of realize that she's being consumed by all this anger and grief and that she has to be better. She has to be like her brother and be noble to be the person that she is. And I like that with Namor, it's like he doesn't really see that. He just sees that like while he did get shown mercy to him at the end of the day, he still wants that vengeance with the surface and he just sees this act of mercy as like this is going to be that olive branch that I can then exploit to get his way in, in essence to attack the surface world because he believes that they're going to attack Wakanda first and then he's going to ultimately get what he wanted. So on the topic of grief uh, and vengeance involving Shuri, that is actually my biggest issue with the film. Again, I think conceptually, it's a remarkable idea. I love the parallels between Shuri and her actual brother from Civil War. He went down a similar path after his father was killed, right? Right down to the final speech of the movie. Exactly. Uh, I like how the dialogue is paralleled. I like how she parallels as well with Killmonger. I just feel as though, however, that maybe Coogler didn't do a good enough job in the first half of the film establishing Shuri's darkness. It's alluded to, it's there, I acknowledge that, but I feel like pre-Ramonda's death, because Queen Ramonda dies, she, gets, yep. she drowns, uh, another sequence that I feel didn't hit me as emotionally as I would really would have liked, everything before that sequence... I feel uh, kind of shows Shuri in a much lighter manner. Obviously, her mother didn't pass away. I understand that. So she, she hasn't hit that breaking point yet. But I just think maybe exploring her, her, her inner turmoil and her darkness a little bit more, just a little bit, I think would have ultimately paid off uh, and set up her snap uh, towards vengeance after her mother dies. Because it, to me, it feels a little bit abrupt. It feels a little sudden. Um, and I didn't feel like it gripped me, again, as emotionally as, as it could have. Uh, personally, I kind of disagree because, as you mentioned earlier, it's alluded to and it's kind of shown. You kind of see, like, this is the path she's going on because, like, she's kind of going back on tradition. And you could see, like, that whole, like, I want the world to burn. She's got this, basically, she's really got this anger festering inside of her. And the breaking point is that, and I feel like that's enough setup. And personally, I found that the setup and even payoff to the sort of wanting vengeance because of the death of the loved one was better done here than with Spider-Man with Peter and Aunt May, personally. I think I'm going to have to agree with Paolo more than Matthew on this one. I feel like it was alluded to her her darker side before, but I feel like if there would have been if it would have been explored more or if it would have been maybe touched on even more, I kind of feel like there wouldn't have been a point and I feel like after her mom died, she had someone to blame. I feel like for her brother, mm -hmm. she was 
angry at the world, at everyone. Mm-hmm. But when her mom died, that was the the tipping point, the breaking point. That was when she saw, um, uh, sorry, Killmonger in her in her vision. Right, she saw him. Yes. After her mom died and everything, and that really gave her someone to to focus her anger on, and that's that's why and to I kind of it put her feelings and thoughts into words. Yeah. As well. Uh, I agree with that again to an extent, but the problem is that the main real problem I have with it is that her actual turn happens so late in the movie that her exploration of vengeance doesn't really have a lot of time to kind of feel developed. I don't know if that you agree with me on. I I think I don't personally. I feel like to some degree it's like you don't want there's a fine line between having it sort of alluded to and set up versus just spelling it out for the audience. Oh, and, for sure. And personally, I feel like it walked that line f- fine. <laughs> well, I feel like they are spelling it out a little bit very heavy handedly in, in the second half. I think uh, so what I don't know if you, you would consider this maybe subtle, but I think Ludwig actually does a really incredible thing with the score involving Shuri. When Shuri finally adopts the mantle of Black Panther and she comes down into Jabari land and lands in front of everybody. What I interpreted from the score is that there's a lot of dread in Shuri's theme. It almost feels very, very haunting and dark. And 100%. It's not like a heroic moment in a way. Because this is like, I don't want to say like she gave up, but it's like she wants to not do good. She wants to do bad almost. Yeah, Yeah, like she took up the mantle for the wrong reasons or for the opposite reasons that her her brother, let's say, took up the mantle. So when I feel like I I didn't want to clap in that scene because looking at it i go no shuri um is genuinely at the lowest point in her life right now this isn't something to applaud she she like uh, like alessandro said is adopting the mantle for the wrong reasons and i really did love that because that's such like a bold take on a superhero you see 100 percent. this is like it's the black panther he's always a hero black panther to see them somebody take up this mantle a character we know and love for all the wrong reasons it's like I'm surprised that they went that direction, and I'm I'm happy they did. It was something different. But ultimately, uh, genuinely, how I feel though, I, I just wish we got a little bit more, uh, you know. And I and I don't really know at what points they would have inserted that into. I just feel like maybe you know if we they did take out that Everett Ross stuff, we would have had a little bit more time to explore kind of Shuri's arc. But that was my ultimate genuine criticism with the film is that it didn't have enough time to kind of breathe and really marinate with me and uh, how the emotion just didn't kind of sit with me uh, as, as deeply as I thought it could. Look, I understand where you're coming from. I'm not, I'm not going di- to completely disagree. Like, look, I do disagree with you, but I'm not mm-hmm. going to completely... Like, I, I see where you're coming from. Yeah. Right. I feel like had they explored it a bit too much, it'd be a bit too on the nose, you know? And like with Anthony, I pretty much... Like, I see where you're coming from, but I ultimately disagree. I really do think that it was done tastefully and like i feel like there was it could while it could benefit from having more i think it was as good as is actually you know what speaking of having more um umbaku in this film was sensational also really really funny lines but what i really adore about umbaku is you could totally see his growth from the first film Mm -hmm. and now after uh t'challa's passing he's almost kind of become a, a mentor figure or father figure or even brother figure for Shuri and I think the conversations that he has with her at her mother's funeral and even when she kind of uh, really does snap and you could tell like there's absolute vengeance uh, in her eyes you know Uh, and that scene where he's really taken aback by it I think there's some really really incredible dialogue there and uh, their exchanges are are very very uh, poignant for me agreed like you could even see in his eyes there's like that sort of sadness and disappointment that you would have of a family member Mm -hmm. seeing like their loved one basically like this very compelling too like the idea that you know he doesn't want to go to war and he understands the the path that vengeance will will not only lead shuri on but lead all of wakanda on mm-hmm. i just man i just really wish he was in the movie more i feel that, like he was that, very short that's exactly what i was gonna add in i'm like but i feel like he wasn't in this movie as much as maybe even the first one yeah i i felt like he got a bit uh, shafted in terms of runtime almost yeah i agree with that I agree. I kind of don't blame them though because they've already they already have a lot of other characters in this movie. True. Um, so I don't know if maybe if they substituted someone else's runtime for his, someone else that was less important. <laughs> Everett Ross. <laughs> James. <laughs> there we go. It comes back full circle. 
Exactly. But speaking of all this like raw emotion and whatnot, I love the final fight between Namor and Shuri. Mm. There is, I don't want to say it's violent, but there's like an intensity to this fight. Yes. That I feel like you don't see in too many of the Marvel movies anymore. Mm-hmm. Like it felt personal. Like it. Well, I'm, to be honest with you, the the whole arc of vengeance actually really did remind me. A lot. I don't want to spoil the Last of Us Part Two, but mm-hmm. the main character goes through something similar in that. <laughs> it's, dude, I, it's been out for several years. Just spoil it. It's okay. No, that I, game I, came out twenty twenty. If you haven't I, played it by now, come yeah, on. I mean, look, it just kind of reminded me of that a lot. I, I could draw parallels and the the whole intensity and kind of like vitriol that the protagonist has for the enemy i was gonna say i don't know if it's gonna be blasphemous to a couple people but it felt almost like uh spider-man 2002 the ending fight to that yeah we just feel like that raw motion fight yeah these two people are just beating each other i just kind of wish this fight was longer me too it it felt it was intercut with uh the water fight on the big boat in ways that didn't benefit this fight Mm -hmm. and i wanted more of it Every like th- there's cool slow motion in this fight, and I just want to see more. I yeah. felt myself wanting more. I don't I, know if they cut more or whatever. It just I felt like it it was not edited to its potential. What was uh, your reaction when she gets stabbed? I felt that it was e. <laughs> there was there was a level of just guttural like intensity Absolutely. that and was felt, just like I felt even worse when she pulled it out <laughs> like which was, is but that's I also kind of wanted to talk about that when she does pull it out. I think the scene is so intense. I had a massive suspension of disbelief when she removes the spear and there's just no blood. Like it's, 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 I, I, I know I understand it's a film for kids, but I, I think there's, you don't have to maybe linger on the shot of her removing it so long, but maybe just show a little glimpse of it just to kind of like sell the intensity of it and the seriousness. That's a nitpick to me. No, yeah. I just want that it takes the, the spear out and it's completely I, clean. Well, I, I, had to to be fair. I had to suspend my disbelief more when she flipped over him after that. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. Oh, Dude, that's you know fair. what? Yeah, good point. Because well, she has a super, she does have superhuman look, abilities. But now, you so do maybe sh- she healed. No, you know, he literally know. just bent over because he was like, oh man, I'm so weak. And she just like, <laughs> yeet. No, but the thing is, you do see that the, the heart shaped herb does heal her a bit from that moment when she pulls yes. it out. So, Seeing no blood doesn't really make me cry or whatever, but it's just, I wish it was longer. There's no other way to put it. It's so well done, but it's just too short. Yeah. I think it's really the cutting back and forth between that and the bow fight really just took away from it because, like, in all honesty, I was kind of over the boat fight. As soon as, like, Namor and Shuri were just really going at it, I was just, I wanted to focus only on that. That's all I wanted because this is where the climax of the movie was this was the culmination of everything that we had seen and then it's just cutting back to that fight and it's it takes it kind of pulls the rug underneath all the momentum each time we return to it i wouldn't say each time actually you know what no i i do think there's a brief moment where the cutting back and forth it's kind of setting you up into believing that shuri is gonna have the upper hand because all the wakandans at, at a certain point are also having uh, the upper hand in their fight as well so it keeps cutting back and forth and and there are very distinct parallels between the fight moves that they're having and then the fight moves that shuri's having but then that's what makes i think the stab all the more shocking is that no there's a complete uh turn on that you know so i i do think the editing does help but ultimately just the scene wasn't as long as as i think it could have been you know exactly i mean yeah you could have like really cool parallels but at the end of the day it's like i would much rather take a complete and like really intense and vicious fight over just cool parallels and I editing. agree with them. That's fair. That's fair. I also agree. What uh, did you guys have like a favorite scene in the movie? Because I there's a scene that we haven't talked about that I think is just absolutely riveting. You can go first while we think about it. <laughs> yeah, because okay. I don't know if I have a favorite scene for this movie other than just like because I I just enjoyed it from start to finish so i don't really have a favorite mm. scene in particular the scene that i'm referring to i think is the scene when okoye gets her rank stripped from her of course it's, that's a great one that scene is just i i felt the emotion in that scene far more than in ramunda's death when ramunda's having that monologue uh, about her losing everything what a powerhouse performance angela bassett provides even okoye man the actress plays okoye just was so good man you you could feel her pain i love how they even bring up um her husband who's now in prison they hint about that from the first film uh he's not in prison he was just filming nope 
<laughs> literally <laughs> yeah, to, why he's to not give in backstory <laughs> the reason why daniel kaluuya couldn't come back for this yeah he was uh, he had scheduled in conflicts with the film nope which i still have to watch i bought it on 4K. great film yeah Anthony that was film. really good yeah i gotta see it i'm excited did I you watch even, it no i haven't seen it i didn't even know he was doing that i was gonna ask where the rhino guy was because <laughs> yeah, i didn't know it. i had no idea no bad cgi rhinos in this movie oh man I we got some we guys. got some nice elephants though yeah. nice cg elephants they, those were great and whales oh the whales look great oh, oh i cool. loved you know okay this is not really a favorite scene but i absolutely yeah. loved the use of the wildlife me too it was beautiful but also like terrifying because you kind of see how big these animals are who doesn't love a good orca <laughs> and oh, then I-, I looked into the eye of the great fish <laughs> mammal <laughs> whatever, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice seinfeld reference great episode elaine's in this movie too so it adds up there you go uh, all right who caved <laughs> who caved I even uh, speaking of Okoye too, like the uh, the fight that she has with the Tuma on the bridge, dude, it's so good. Mm-hmm. I, I fight choreography is amazing. Yeah, everything about this movie in terms of fight scenes and one that was so well done. Yeah, I like even Ironheart's introduction. I love that janky costume. It looked so like it looked like it barely worked, and that's how a Mark One should look. No, yeah, I agree. I absolutely adored her Mark One costume. What'd you guys think of her Mark Two outfit? I guess I liked it. To say the least, I like that they actually finally put hearts in an Iron Heart costume. Yeah, because in the comics, that. she never has hearts on it. I'm like, but why would you call her Iron Heart with no heart on the costume, whatever? But I was happy she didn't end the movie. She didn't bring that armor home because that was a bit too advanced. I don't want to see that in the show. I want to see her build her way up a bit more. Yeah. Speaking of armor, though, I wasn't too fond, actually, of like Okoye and Aneka um, having armor as well. Uh, what did they call it again in the uh, movie? The Midnight Angels. And if I'm not mistaken, in the comics, those are it's just like a, like an elite team of Dora Milaje. There's no real technology to it. So the fact that they added all that technology stuff and whatnot, I didn't really need that. I think, yeah, the whole MCU is maybe starting to feel a little bit, well, maybe more with this movie more than anything, but uh, feeling a little bit oversaturated, I think, with the Iron Man-esque armor. It's a bit redundant, maybe. I think it's just uninspired, to be honest. Like, it's just like an unoriginal idea. They could have really done something where it's like they played off the, like, water aspect. Like, you could have made these suits that were very formidable underwater and have even maybe a Koye fight atuma underwater that would i cool. agree with that would have been very cool actually i mean nakia has an underwater suit but she doesn't do anything with it yeah like it's right there it's just that they instead decide here's two more iron men yeah i also just don't like the design i'm not crazy about it, it looks no, like i, I, I dug like it. it oh I, dug I, it. I i don't like it at all it looks for, for okoye or for uh, riri williams uh, okoye no yeah. riri okoye. i liked but so, it was okay. okoye's costume i, I, no, I, I, like- I, I agreed with okoye and when she was saying it was like disgusting and that she hated it i totally agreed with her to I, be honest i thought they were um being maybe self-aware with that and then they were going to change the costume at the end but she said it was gross and then they kept it I liked it. It looks exactly like the comic one, so I got to respect. It was great. Kind of looks like a really happy predator. <laughs> I was going to say kind of got like an owl vibe. That's, that's like, oh, yeah, like, like the that. Court of Owls almost, but like sure. colorful. And I just want to add because like for Riri Williams, while I like the suit, it felt weirdly plastic. Like, I don't know if that's the CG or just like how it was designed. It's just there was something weird about it i think it. more in the helmet i get where you're coming from like i don't <laughs> i really no, don't uh, yeah, i don't understand like look i know it's gonna sound stupid but in power rangers <laughs> and common rider there's you're a right. lot of, it does sound stupid there, there's a lot of times where these characters have like that sort of black glass and then like around it is a colored metal and it just has always that cheap plastic resin look to it and that's okay. kind of okay. translated in that scene so it's like i guess because it Kind of makes it look more real, but at the same time, it just makes it look more I, fake. I might sound crazy, but I'm pretty sure at a point there was practical, but... Yeah, that's why. I, I, if it was, if you really? told me it was practical... I think there was a shot where, where her helmet opens. I'm like, I think that was practical. I might be tripping. I, I just, it might I, come out on 4K and I'm going to look so dumb, but whatever. But I'll say it. I don't <laughs> trust anything being practical in these movies anymore. Like, Yeah, exactly. I, I can kind of see it when... <laughs> Sometimes you could tell, though. Like, But like, just to get back... Like, if you told me that helmet that she had was practical, I would probably believe you just because it's got that sort of uncanny, plastic, like, look to it. Speaking of uncanny, Namor is a mutant. <laughs> they finally that dropped. Was, okay, wait, hold on. No, no, no. We have to acknowledge that amazing segue. That was really, that, that was, was Chris. That was good. Yes, that's right. In this movie, they dropped the M word, mutant. I was happy to hear that. 
they acknowledge he's oh he's not the first mutant in the mcu he's actually the second but you know in my heart he's the first one like in the comics well in terms of like chronological order he's definitely probably the first mutant yeah in that case Oh, okay yeah i guess you're right but second mention of mutants. i meant like yeah, yeah it's not yeah. the first appearance of mutants in the mcu right. and you know what i kind of want to tie this back to our first after hours episode where we talked about you know kamala khan joining the x-men this movie shows that he is old to me i kind of got the implication that him being a mutant slow down his age and do you think that's going to be something that's going to played in with maybe professor x and magneto Entirely possible, but uh, I'm not sure about that. I don't think so. Me too. Uh, I think this was something unique to him only. Uh, or a character like Logan, let's say. Yeah. Or Apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or okay. any other mutant who's had pre-established history of, of prolonged aging. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I, I thought you were going to ask if Namor's joining the X-Men, so <laughs> I'm happy you didn't ask that. Well, that was my second question. Yes, he's joining them for sure. Is he going to be all uh, very inappropriate with Sue Storm like in the comics? I was literally just about to say, I was just forming it in my head. I was going to be all like, so do you think uh, he and Sue Storm are going to... Well, I mean, that's not what happens. In the comics and in uh, animated series and whatnot and various source material, um, Namor has this like really, really creepy kind of like affection for Sue Storm and basically abducts her uh, at some point. Uh, he wants to make uh, her his queen. Um, yeah, I, kind of, I, I don't know how I feel if, about that. I don't want them to kind that, of... That, that, that doesn't sound like they're going to adapt that, if I have to guess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sounds a bit off topic, but I don't think they will adapt that, judging by... He seems to be someone who connects more with people who, I guess, in the movie's own terms, want to see the world burn, or people who have kind of experienced almost the same things as him or have lived a life almost like his. In mm. so Sue Storm, I don't think... Great point. Yeah. And to be fair, I see him as more of an independent character. Like, this doesn't feel like something like he would do. To me, it doesn't seem like he would rely on a partner or have this need to get one. It's just like, I am the leader. I have a people to look after. And like you said, it's like, if he's going to be interested in anyone, it would probably be someone who's broken like him. I do think there was that really nice connection between him and Shuri. And I, I never really got the vibe that it was hinted at being a romantic connection more of maybe like um maybe even like a brother sister kind of but vibe uh, he, that i got they kind of like look up to each other in a way because they're both leaders yeah aspirational or just friendly you know i, I don't know but uh, there yeah. was that nice bond there so, and then to kind of like fracture that by just making him this really creepy guy <laughs> like I, I think that would be a bad thing so, yeah 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 I, we i think uh the ref point podcast says no to creep namor absolutely <laughs> hashtag no creep from namor <laughs> perfect something that i just wanted to bring up really quick speaking of namor i was a bit disappointed maybe i don't know how i feel about this yet because again i just finished watching this movie so i have to think about it more I was kind of disappointed that at the end he was still a little evil, not not evil per se, kind of Machiavellian and how he would use uh, his alliance with Wakanda because I was hoping that through her saving him, like Shuri saving him at the end, because throughout the movie they make a point that Shuri, she couldn't save her brother, she couldn't save her mom. And I, I was kind of hoping that at the end of the movie when she saved him or rather refused to kill him, he would have maybe seen that and kind of grown from it or grown to appreciate it or maybe there would have been a bigger impact there and then it would have felt like that truce between wakanda and 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 yeah talokan would have felt even more significant but i still find in that final conversation with nimora that nimor has with her you could tell that he has a respect for the black panther when he says like she could have killed me at any moment but didn't she spared my life Mm -hmm. and you could see that like it it's very clear he's happy to have Wakanda as an ally right now. Yeah, so anyway, guys, do you still have a favorite scene or what? <laughs> That's what I was going to ask Anthony with our whole uh, Ironheart tangent. I was going to say, Anthony, is your favorite part of the movie when she gets in that Mark 1? Not really. <laughs> I mean, honest to God, I'd probably say my favorite part is the end with Shuri versus Namor. Even though I complained about it, I just love that part so much mm. that it, it really, it paid off, it wrapped up the film nicely for me. Okay. I just think that Okoye sequence, the reason why I think it is my favorite scene in the movie is because it genuinely is a perfect scene from start to finish. I, I, yeah. did, I just didn't want to steal your point too, so it's a great scene. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorites. That is a great scene. That would probably be my second favorite, but uh, my favorite 
would be when she first dons the Black Panther suit and you see her falling from the sky because I thought that was such a great indicator of where she is in her journey and how low she is and how the tonal shift and how different it is from other superhero movies, let's say, to portray a hero that way. I was really, I I really enjoyed that scene. It kind of like recontextualizes also the superhero landing where you could (laughs) analyze it from the point of view where like, no, she literally is actually descending to a darker place. Yeah, yeah. Also, speaking of good scenes that we liked, Un, uh, really un, not underrated moment this movie just came out but I really like uh, the ending part with Namor and uh, Shuri going back to the Atla- uh, not the Atlanteans but you know the Atlanteans and the Wakandans and just saying like this war is over that was a really powerful moment for me and she says Wakanda forever and I everything. think the music I, I the music has a lot to do Ludwig with carried <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was what a great moment for me yeah I, I think uh, well, another standout sequence that we didn't really cover that much is uh, Namor invading Wakanda. So great. Oh my god, that punch he gave to M'Baku, I felt that. <laughs> like, that yeah, was right? I'm going to be honest, I thought M'Baku would die after that because yeah. I yeah. feel like that punch like almost cracked his sternum or his yeah. ribs or something. I think it's probably just because maybe his armor is lined with yeah. vibranium so that it, yeah. Oh, but that's why it saved him? Probably. But you figured he'd at least have like a herniated disc or something. Like, come on. Like, <laughs> yeah, who fact. knows? Fact. So I guess let's just wrap things up with the ending. What did you guys think? A great way to cut the credits, I found. It was a pretty great moment seeing her finally move on, ending the grieving period. It, yeah. It was, uh, it was a nice cut the credits with the, with the beautiful Rihanna song. Made it great. Here's the thing. I kind of... It's going to sound so bad, but like I disagree because of the mid credit scene. In the mid credit scene, it's revealed that T'Challa has a son. And that he's been living in Haiti for six years because he wants to avoid the pressure of royal life. And, you know, we see Shuri interact with T'Challa's son. And we learn that his name is also T'Challa. And this gives like this sort of emotional moment for Shuri where it's almost like she kind of has her brother back in the form of a nephew. And the thing is, I believe that this would have personally made for a better ending than what we got with the burning of the funeral clothes because it kind of just wraps up this whole thing of her missing her brother her wishing she still had her brother and now she kind of has him in the form of his son if that was let's say the cut to black for the credits i think would have left everyone with much more satisfied and kind of like uplifted tone i disagree i think the real ending of this movie was her burning the funeral garments just because i the the whole movie was about grief and the final stage of grief is acceptance. So her burning the clothes was a pretty direct analogy to her accepting her loss of her brother and her mother. So I think that that was a good way to, to end the movie. And who doesn't love a somber ending? Like, come on. No, but like really the the, the sense of, I understand that because thematically the whole point of the film is grief. And I think to end the film with the end of, of her grieving process is kind of poetic. And the, new beginning of T'Challa reborn in a sense through her nephew the spirit of T'Challa at least reborn through her nephew uh, does mark a new beginning and does hint towards a a brighter future so I can understand like thematically why that is a good idea to have it in the mid-credits it's just it really irks me knowing that there's always such important things that are being relegated to a credit scene because some people will miss that ultimately like in our theater like everyone was extremely attentive and respectful of the credits and and, and whatnot so no one really got up and left i do see that happen a lot with marvel movies didn't happen here which is good but it just kind of does upset me that you leave such important things for the for like after the movie's over you know what i mean like they put the real i've said this before in another episode but they put the real ending of their movie or show in the mid credits yeah Far from home, I'm looking at you. But like thematically, like I said, I think it does work. And I also kind of like how there's only a mid credit scene and no after credit scene. That that made it, it made me feel even better about it being the mid credits when the fact that they didn't put an after credit scene. Yep. But about the actual ending, what I do think uh, worked really, really well was um, the little tribute that we do get to Chadwick Boseman and T'Challa simultaneously uh, with the montage of him and Shuri together. Uh, again, in silence, which I think is very respectful. Uh, but I, I do think it kind of like tugged at my emotional heartstrings in a way that is a little bit more impactful than the opening funeral. I, I felt like 
if I were to get choked up at something other than uh, the scene where I think Okoye gets her rank stripped, like I said before, um, I, I do think the ending was very, very poignantly touching. And the fact that you kind of bring in T'Challa's son and also name him T'Challa, I feel is a very, very respectful way of um, kind of working around the recast. You know what I mean? Right. T'Challa lives again through somebody else. And it's not Chadwick Boseman, but this person will grow up to be like his papa, you know. And I, I just think that's very, very beautiful. So as someone who was really kind of in favor before the movie came out of recasting, I think they found a really, really respectful solution to work around that. Do you think that maybe putting those emotional points regarding um, T'Challa at the end rather than the beginning, do you think that was intentional? Or do you think it would have been better if it was both? I don't know if it was intentional. Intentional. I think I well, I think I personally I think Ryan Coogler's intention was to keep emotion permeating throughout the whole narrative. There are moments, especially with Nakia, who we didn't even mention actually, by the way, who I thought was wonderful. I love Lupita Nyongo. She's just an amazing actress. Um, there's the scene when she's uh talking about her grief and her perspective on, on why she didn't show up to the funeral and whatnot. Uh, which was very, very beautiful. Um so that is there. It's there throughout the whole movie. It's just Again, it just it just comes down to personally, I, I wasn't affected by it as much as other people. And I know some people who were deeply moved uh, by everything that he put on screen. It's just the ending worked more, I guess, for my personal tastes. Because of the flashbacks that we saw or was there another aspect to it? I don't know. I, it's just the execution of it. I don't know. I really don't know. Here's the thing. I, th I think it was intentional because the whole point was that Shuri couldn't really accept that her brother was dead and that yeah. she wanted to bring him back. And like, I feel like to a degree, maybe she just remembers him suffering and being sick because she even says it throughout the movie. Why is it that like all this intelligence, all these gifts of technology and I couldn't help him when he was dying and sick. And she always refers to him as sick. But now in this ending, she just sees him when he was healthier, when he was happier and that's kind of plays in with that whole accepting thing. By accepting his death, she can overcome the fact that he was sick and instead just remember him for who he was. Who he was. Exactly. So I think that's why it works better and that's the emotional poignancy. I think that's kind of what I meant, but you phrased it really well. So thank Dab, you. Dab, that's a first for me. <laughs> so... You know, ultimately, I think that is a, a very solid place to wrap uh, the ending of the movie, the ending of the episode. Who would have thought, eh? Uh, but more importantly, I really do want to know if you guys watch Black Panther Wakanda Forever and you're watching and listening to this on YouTube. Comment below, guys. What did you think of the movie? Um, do you kind of see my points about uh, maybe the emotion not hitting as well? Or did, did it really, really resonate for you? And while you're at it, please do not forget to like the video if you enjoyed it. Please share it as well. Subscribe to OAR TV. There's a lot of really, really great content from a lot of really great artists on there. It really does help support the channel and us ultimately to continue to grow and put out more content for you. And then the same goes, you know, for all of you listening on Spotify, Apple or any other podcast platform of your choice. Please do not forget to share the episode and ultimately follow the Reference Point podcast. Speaking of following, uh, we strongly encourage you guys to follow us on all major social media platforms at RefPoint Podcast. There's a lot of really good stuff on there as well. Um, and what about for you, Alessandro? Where can the people maybe find you? I don't have anything to plug. All right, cool. And don't forget to support your local column bookstores. Thanks, guys. Take care.